Howdy, everybody. I'm Howdy, Robert. everybody. <laughs> Chime in. You jumped in on my I, intro. I took that from you. I did. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Money Shot. And if you'll listen to this sound, it's quite different. You won't notice any sirens in the background. I was say you that. won't hear the downtown alarms going off from cars. No gunshots. Like no gunshots. Guess what? We're in a very nice, plush uh, conference room speaking with the one, the only, Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells. Woo! Yay! Vernon, nice to yep. see you. <laughs> it's, it's nice to be here. Nice I, to I... hear you. After all of that, I'm, I'm terribly afraid that I won't live up to my own expectations. <laughs> this is, this in, is scary. In case anyone doesn't know Vernon Wells, you know Vernon Wells, even if you don't know, you know Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells is one of the most iconic figures in cinema history, uh, playing the character of Wes in The Road Warrior, which we're going to talk about a lot today. Also uh, uh, playing the, the main villain in Commando. Uh, oh my gosh. Bennett. Bennett. And you're also in The Power Rangers. Right. Such a great, great history of, uh, of cinema. Some amazing characters. Almost always villains, by the way. Mostly, yeah. Um, it's... it's... <laughs> It's actually quite funny. Uh, I never set out to be a villain. In a matter of fact, I never set out to be an actor. But I never set out to be a villain. It just seemed to happen that way. And I guess because I did it well, people were like, oh, yeah, he's a villain. Um, <laughs> and now now as it's changing. I mean, it has for the last probably 10 years or so. I'd, I'd get to do quite a lot of uh, films where I play the good guy but even my good guys have a twist you know i, ca I can't be straight i mean <laughs> you know give me a role that's that's um the hero and i i've got to make him just a little bit warped somewhere well i gotta tell you i'm having a fanboy moment today and i don't normally get like that oh I'm vernon if you only knew this guy when you had agreed to do this podcast i got text from this guy in all capital letters guess who's our guest vernon and he was going nuts talking about it endlessly and this is an important moment for robert and myself i'm pretty stoic when it comes to meeting celebrities but i you gotta are. tell you the first not time now not first this time, time i met vernon i i froze up i was like i actually had the, uh, that moment and so. you don't get that way he no. does not get that way you know yeah. the funny thing is is i have the same problem with actors that i <laughs> i like yeah um i remember meeting um a couple of, uh, I was working with, when I did, uh, wrote, um, sorry, when I did Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I got taken to a party and a very famous actor was there. And You're not um, going to give us names? No. Oh. And Arnold uh, took me over and introduced me and I just sort of stood there looking at him with my mouth open. Didn't say a word. I was just stunned that he would talk to me, number one. <laughs> and I, I just, uh, and Walked away feeling like an idiot. And many, many... What did Dustin Hoffman say after that? <laughs> no, it wasn't Dustin, believe me. This, this particular gentleman's very tall. Oh. And um, probably a few hours later, after the party had sort of come to its conclusion, he, uh, he I, I guess he was leaving, and I heard this, uh, if you must know, it was Clint Eastwood. Oh. And um, he, uh, this, this voice went, Vernon! And I sort of stood up and looked, and of course, Clint's above everybody. And so he said, I said, yes. And he went, wonderful speaking to you. And I went, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how to get totally destroyed by somebody you think is wonderful. But I have the same problem. When I'm around people that I, I look at and think they're way my peers, I get so tongue-tired. And the problem is most of them are saying to me the same shit, you know. 
man, you are so fucking unbelievable. You do these things. I'm, I'm looking at him going, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. Doesn't compute. You know, it's right. just like you guys do all this other stuff that I think is amazing. Well, uh, for me, when I had my fanboy moment with you, I, I, I saw you, I don't know if you recall, but it was at the New Beverly Center, uh, mm -hmm. New Beverly uh, Theater, sorry, the uh, when they were doing the Road Warrior and, um, and the new Fury Road double feature. And I just, I got tongue-tied. Literally, I had to ask my girlfriend to talk to him. I could not process. My brain wouldn't, it wouldn't work. But I'm uh, glad I did, man. Good to have I, you on the podcast. And here we you. are. I, I, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I, <laughs> I'm a little country boy. You know? Oh, and that's what I want to ask you about. I want to talk farm. about your beginnings. I want to talk about how you got into filmmaking in the first place. We've got some other stuff we want to do. But first, I, I want to I peel back the layers of the Vernon Wells onion brain and try to figure out where did it all begin? So... You told us before we started recording, you were, you grew up kind of in Australia on like a kind mm -hmm. of country farm Yeah, I area. grew up with my grandfather. And where uh, was that? What area was that? That's in Rushworth, Australia. Um, and it's the actual town that I grew up in, Winalta, was, uh, had one general store. That was <laughs> it. It was everything. Is uh, this kind of like out in the outback? Basically, um, it's not that not far that far away from civilization but the properties were rather large so okay. you i think we had like seven properties and our school was this little country school which had six rows of desks and each row was a year like year one year two year mm. three and the the blackboard was divided into seven so the one teacher taught everybody um and we went to school in a in a horse and buggy it was the furthest kids would ride the horse and buggy and they'd pick up everybody as they went down and then we'd all go to school. Um, that's how I grew up. And then my mother... Um, Put you into acting yeah. classes and then you started no, doing modeling and... Oh. Not, not quite that. Oh, that not way. that way? No, my mother got um, remarried and I moved down to the city. And Which I, city is that? Melbourne. Melbourne. I never wanted to be an actor. Actor was... Uh, yeah, bleh. It was just did not intrigue me. I'm sorry, how was that? Bleh. Oh, right, great. Yeah, did not like the idea. In fact, you put me in front of a uh, microphone and that was it. I just stood there and looked at the microphone. <laughs> Had no, could not get a word out of me. Um, but I loved the process of filmmaking. So um, what happened was that I was in a band um, a couple of very, very successful big bands. And in one of them, I got severely injured in a road accident and couldn't work. So m the manager who um, was uh, I grew up with, Bobby, Bobby got to the point of where he, he either wanted to strangle me or shoot me. He wasn't sure which would be the most <laughs> expeditious. Um, Maybe both. Because I was just a pain in the ass. So what he did was he took photographs of me around to all the agencies. And eventually this one agency said, does he ride a horse? And he said he grew up in the country. Yeah, he rides horses. You know, he's got horses. And I went, bring him in. So I went in and I met with these people. And they were casting for a series of, of cigarette commercials. Hmm. And I got it. And it was this cigarette brand. Did you smoke at the time? No. Huh. So it was this cigarette brand. I love brand that irony. That, yeah, I know. It's always the best, isn't it? Um, but I did begin to smoke. Don't worry. Um, so... <laughs> It was a cigarette brand, and basically all it was was a series of commercials which were being made to use money so that they didn't have to pay taxes. Mm. That, that, the bottom line. Um, so I did these uh, commercials and suddenly realized I didn't have to share the money with five other guys. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. 
So the same agency said, look, we've got these modeling gigs. So they would get me different modeling gigs. And it, it took about three now, months. Now, wait a minute. You did start acting and doing modeling. <laughs> it's almost exactly what I said. I guess your mom just didn't set you up for it. Nope. Okay. Um, and, you know, I started doing these modeling I was fucking things. around. I know. That's why I was nice to you. Um, <laughs> so I got these modeling gigs. And, you know, like within three months, I was bored shitless. Yeah. Um, it just drove me to insanity. So then they started putting me uh, into different shows as a an extra, you know. Yeah. And that was fun for me. I enjoyed it. And the nice thing about it in Australia back at that time, if you were doing bar scenes, everything in the bar was real. Mm. So if the bar scene went for like three hours, you just kept drinking glasses of beer. <laughs> and so by the end of three hours, you were either just upright on the on the stool or on the floor on your back. It, it depended how much you drank. And so it was just this real fun shit, you know? So it was just, to me, it was just a game. I, I wasn't interested in the least. And um, I wanted to be a director, you know? I wanted to be behind the scenes. I right. loved the, the, the process of making it. And um, I started working for a uh, very, very famous uh, commercial director over there who took pity on me, I think, and um, started teaching me, and I trained, and I became a director, a commercial director. Oh, cool. But What, what was your first commercial for? Uh, my first commercial was for a curly fries. Curly fries? Curly fries. And I had designed this whole thing, which was a um, stove, which had a big perspex back on it, so you could see through it. So huh. I was shooting through it as the person opened it, put the yeah, yeah. and then as they cooked. So, you know, I, I, and then. Were you feeling nervous as the the days were getting closer to the shoot? No, see, because I wasn't doing it. I was just putting it together. And then on the night before we were shooting, the director walked past, who Uh. also owned the company, uh, George, and he went, you're directing this. Kids, you're in. Oh, thank you. And then as he walked on, I suddenly realized what he had said. And, you know, my heart started to beat really heavy. And I thought, oh, I'm going to fuck this up right now. Um, And I did it. And it worked perfectly because. I had too much invested for it not to. And then I asked him why he did that to me. And he said, because if I told you a week before, by the time it came, you would right. be in a basket case and you would never have been able to shoot it, which was true. I would have. I would have worried myself to death. So that's where it started. And then I, I started um, my own company doing commercials. And the uh, clients would always say to me, you spend more time in front of the camera telling people how to do what you need done. Why the fuck don't you just do it? And I just look at them and go, I'm not an actor give me a break and so there was oh how uh, wrong you uh, were uh, yeah how stupid it was to become <laughs> and then i i was doing a lot of extras and it was very funny when it first started that there'd be a whole group and the director would be looking around he'd go hey you the big ugly bastard come here <laughs> and he's ought to bring me up to the front and he say right when the when the star comes in and says wank 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 you step forward and go wanker and give me whatever and i'd go and what would Winker? happen? Winker, yeah, yeah. winker, winker. Oh, no, winker. Oh, no not even that. Is, not even variations. I, I would drift slowly back through the crowd <laughs> until I was right at the back, and they'd go action. The hero would come in, do his thing, and you'd hear winker. <laughs> <laughs> and the director, back here, you know, like, and then they'd give up. Okay, because I just would not stay up in the camera. I didn't like it. But when you put me on a horse, when you put me in a car to drive, when you gave me when you had something scenes, to do, when I was doing anything but being the star, mm. I was fine. And um, I just never ever wanted to do that side of it. It just 
it wasn't me. And now is the part that every time I do a convention and people ask me these questions, they love. I got asked to do a stage play. A stage um, play? A stage play. You know, it's going to be I hard said, to, to merge back to the background. You're going to like glue yourself to the flat in the back of the... two people. <laughs> Two-hander. So there's no way... And I said no. Wasn't doing it. Then I got told what it was about, and I said, there is no way on God's earth I am doing that. Because big macho boy, it was about two gays. Ah. And of course, so it wasn't was, waiting for Godot or anything was, like that? No, it okay. was called Hosanna, written by Michel Tremblay, a French-Canadian writer, very okay. famous. And it was about a transvestite and her boyfriend. And um, there was just, it was like... Were was, you the transvestite or the boyfriend? I was the boyfriend. And there was not, no, it never happened. Not Let me get happening. you right here. Yeah, not not ever happening. And um, <clears throat> I actually left Australia to get away from it. I uh, joined a cruise ship as director of entertainment, and that lasted for something like five weeks. And I was having sex with some young lady against the uh, captain's door at three in the morning. Or <laughs> oh, something. I like this guy. Drunk, I like this guy. <laughs> drunk out of my time. Vernon, brain. Ira's a pervert, so anything you <laughs> yeah. say that is related to sex, Ira's Vernon, gonna... after the podcast, we'll hang out. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> so I basically got told to go home. And when I got back to Australia, um, my agent said, look, you know, read it. I hadn't even read the, the, the yeah, play, by the way. So you just I, knew it was about gay people and you were like, Yeah, that I'm was done. it. Okay. Yeah. Macho played football. I was right. a big football hero. Yeah. Not no You were macho. Every you know, way known yeah. was I doing some hairy thing about gay boys. Um so I read it and realized that it wasn't about two gay people, it was about it could have been two dogs, two cats, a dog and a cat, a fish, a, a two women, two men. It, it was a night in their life mm. of a, tri a traumatic experience that had to be resolved. That was what it was about. Right. And I read it and I went, oh, shit, you know, this is kind of interesting. Um, so I, I said I'd do it. And um, then we started rehearsals. And the guy that was, was uh, playing opposite me was gay. Mm. And the director was gay. And so one day I said to the director, I said, um, not being smart-ass, but why me? Everybody else is gay but me. And he said, you ever seen two gays together? It's a bitch fight. And we're doing a stage play. That's so funny. And he said, you know, it would be, I'm better than you, better than, and he said, I needed somebody that had the macho look, the macho feel that would, would work. Would work. Yeah. And it also, he doesn't have to be gay. Right. He's just a user. Now, once he explained it that way to me, I suddenly realized, true, he is. He's yeah. an asshole. He's living with this person because he doesn't have to work. She pays all the bills. Or he, she. Um, so what happened was that I got very disturbed doing the rehearsals and things. And um, it was a very, very visual and very hard play. And I very said my, hard from what I hear. Yeah, very hard. Mm -hmm. And I said to my, my brother one day, I said, uh, I can't do this, Sid. And he said, do what? And I said, do this play. It's just not me, you know. And he went, oh. And I said, so you got any advice? And he said, yeah. Suck it in, you poofter, and go do it. And I went, okay. Ironic that he called you a poofter, huh? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. He was, he was like, you know, fuck you. Go do it. So I went and did it. And it turned into being a smash hit. Okay. It was a very, very um, well-received play. 
It was supposed to run for three weeks, as they call it a filler. Let me get your hair. Oh, yeah. sorry. It was supposed to run for three weeks. It's something they call a filler between seasons. Mm-hmm. And it actually ended up running for just over four months to full houses. Oh, wow. So they had to sort of push everything back because of us. And I got Mad Max, getting to Mad Max. I got Mad Max because of that play. And the reason being that in Australia on a Friday night once a month, they would have um, a late night, like a, a 10 or 11 o'clock uh, showing, you know, mm. like for everybody in the entertainment that was doing other plays. They could come and watch it. And George Miller's girlfriend at the time, Sandy Gore, came and watched it. And she rang George and said, you gotta, you got to come see this guy. He is out of control. Um, and the reason she said that was that within 37 seconds of being on the play, on the, on, on the stage, I was naked masturbating. Um, See, Ira really is, is likes... This, is this play still running? <laughs> I was it, hoping to get his acting career going. It was just... It was just anyway. Um, and she said, you know, he has no fear. He just is amazing to watch. I don't know why she thought I was amazing to watch. Maybe she never watched me. Maybe she was impressed um, with your unit. Yeah, yeah. So she, maybe she your was watching unit. that covering I had on. Um, but it was really funny because the whole setup was a an apartment, but it was an apartment with walls, but there was no covering on the walls. So the audience was voyeurs. They were looking through at us. Oh, I see. But the whole point was you had people in front of you, three feet in front of you. And I every night I would... I used to, the first couple of nights I was terrified because simply because people commented very quietly, but you could hear them. And the, always the, the comment was I'd get all my clothes off and I'd be standing right at the edge of the stage. So <laughs> the first row is basically there. They could open their mouths and I could have a blowjob. I mean, it was just This ridiculous. is like a Gallagher concert with yeah, Vernon's I mean, cum. He's just like just slooching all over the audience. Totally, <laughs> totally ridiculous. And you'd hear little comments like, see, see, I told you, Cochrane. You've got to get a cock ring. Why won't you wear a fucking cock ring? And I'm trying so desperately to do a stage play and these people are right there in front of me and I'm thinking, I'm never going to live this down. This is the end of me, my career, everything. Actually, it was the start. George and I got together and George hired me to do Road Warrior. End of sentence. I never knew why because he had his choice of everybody on the planet for that role after... The first one the first was one, so yeah. successful. He could have got anybody he wanted. Nobody would or have Or at least anybody no. in Australia, for sure. Oh, right? I think anybody in Europe, too. Yeah. Because it was big over there. And um, I actually asked him when I was with him for the opening of um, Fury Road. And we hadn't seen each other for 30 years. That's, you took the next question out of, my, out of my mouth. Yeah. I actually saw him at a screening of uh, Happy Feet. Okay. And that was the first time I'd seen him in 20-odd years. And then I was was taken to uh, Japan for the opening of Fury Road. And George, the the thing was, George was probably going to be there, but we didn't know if he was going Mm. to or not. And he was. So, you know, we all went out to dinner and I was talking to him. And I said, George, seriously, why me? You know, I'd I'd never done a film. I'd done two fucking television shows as an actor, everything else had been as an extra. Mm-hmm. What did you see that I couldn't and still can't? And he said, well, let me tell you. He said, I needed someone that was big and that if you walked into him in a dark alley, you would probably turn around and go the other way really quickly <laughs> because you would not want to be there with him. And I went, 
Okay. And that, uh, that somehow makes sense to you. That's the funny part. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. That, that sounds good. And uh, he said, I needed somebody that was good looking, that wasn't the typical villain, you know, that you could look at him and not say, oh, he's the villain. You mm. could look at him and say, wow. And I went, eh. And he said, and thirdly, to make this whole thing work, and this is the one that got me, but the reality is, he, is, is that he was right. He said, I needed a character that every woman that looked at you in those arseless chaps went, oh, I would fuck him. Or the film wouldn't work. <laughs> and I went, seriously? And he went, yeah. And I got it. And I went, son of a bitch. <laughs> Why um, didn't you tell me this in 1982? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have got more money, you son of a bitch. Showing my ass. Um, but yeah, uh, and it wow. was funny because it, it never dawned on me. And I never... I never worked it that way. You know, I, I, even after I finished Road Warrior, I went back to directing. I was like, yeah, five minutes of fame. I'm a happy dude. And then how did you get into Commando? Weird Science came first. Oh, that's right. I got asked, and it was funny. It, it's that American thing. Joel Silver's people rang my people in Australia and said, we want him to reprise his role in this film called Weird Science. And my uh, manager rang me and said, they want you in America. I said, fuck them. I knew and, it. I had a feeling you'd be like, nah, fuck it. I don't want to do it. I'm just, fuck them. And she said, seriously? I said, yeah, fuck them. I'm not going to America. So she said, oh, okay. So she rang them and they went, fine, we'll give him more money. And so she rang back and said, they're offering you more money. And I went, I don't give a fuck. I don't want to do it. Fuck them. <laughs> so she told him again. And they said, fine, we don't want you. And they and the, end the conversation. Three months later, they rang back and they went, this is our final offer. And she rang me and she said, okay, two choices here. They've just offered you a lot of money. Um, you accept it, or I swear to God, I'll have both your legs broken and I will drag your ass on that plane in splints and you will go and do this movie. And I went, yeah, fine. So I came over to America and did it, and it was for Joel Silver. And he asked me while I was here if I'd be interested in seeing the director for film he was doing with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Commander. So I went and met the director who said, no, don't want him. He's Mad Max. You were a late edition ad, is that right, for Commando? I actually um, took over from the person that they right. cast in the role. I have no idea who that was, and oh. I have no idea why. Um, all I know is that the director said no, Joel said, okay, whatever. Um, I left and went back to Australia, and probably three, four, five months later, I got a, a message, which is another funny story. Um, I, at that stage, I was DJing at a lot of clubs, you know, like all the time. Were you doing it in the war paint and the mohawk? No. Oh. <laughs> I was just doing it normal. But I was having a very, very good sex life. And... Um, my, I like the way he looked at me when he <laughs> said that. He looked right at me when he said, good sex life. You just scream pervert, Ira. He knows. This, this was back in the days. Yeah, when, I'm still back know, on that play have, that you did. Yeah, you, and I want to know if there's opening auditions Vernon going on. Vernon can smell his own kind. He knows what it is. <laughs> they, um, you know, you didn't have all the problems you've got today back then. You know, So things were a lot it's, easier. It's pre-AIDS and stuff yeah, like that, right? That it, was, yeah. it was a lot easier to get around and do shit. And I was out and I had uh, worked that night and I was at some young lady's apartment and uh, one of my friends who was boarding at my house, I had like three of my friends live with me, um, got the phone call. 
and they said, we need him to ring back urgently. And he went, oh, crap. So he went through my room and found my little address book and he just started ringing people in the address book. Like, and half of them went, tell him I'm going to wring his fucking neck if you ever see him like that. And he was like, okay. oh, shit. <laughs> what, he didn't ring you in the morning? He never does. <laughs> um, so he went through the whole thing and eventually he discovered where I was. And he came he over you. and pounded on the door at two o'clock in the morning or some three o'clock and drug my ass out of bed and said, you got to ring up Joel Silver. I said, I have no fucking idea who Joel Silver is. Why would I ring anybody in America? I love that there's several people that are dragging you into celebrity. Oh, yeah. No, I've like... been dragged into all my life. If, <laughs> if I once said to somebody, if I'd had my way, I never would have been an actor because I never wanted to do Road Warrior. Yeah. I continually said to George, I, uh, and George is wonderful. Uh, George, of all the human beings on this planet, I love and adore is on top of my list. I just... He is just the most unbelievably yeah. wonderful human being for many, many reasons, not just because he put me in an amazing movie. And when we first did the auditions for this, I just said to George, I can't do it. I was terrified because yeah. it was a big role in a big film yeah. and I'm a nobody. It's like, nah, can't do this. And, and iconic. I mean, so... Well, we never knew it was going to oh, go right. that way. You're right, you're right. But Not at the time. But Miller's, uh, Mr. Miller's uh, answer every time I said no was, uh-huh. Now, on the other side <laughs> of the... <laughs> and, and, and I'd go, I'm serious, I can't do it. Uh-huh. Now, uh. when you're doing that, would not listen to me. Finally, I went, oh, fuck it, I'll do it. And he went, uh-huh. It was just like this whole thing. Like he just was not impressed no, that you didn't Didn't give a care. shit. Yeah. He, he had decided. It was, that was it. And so the, this whole thing was that if I'd had my way, I never would have been an actor. You know, I didn't want to come to America right. and to the point of where my manager, and I found out later she was retiring. And out of her many, many years in the business, the only person she felt that she had ever had that had that little something was me. And she would never tell me, but she just wanted everything to go my way. And of course, the minute America rang, she was going to get me here if it killed me. Right. And she was so afraid that if she told me I was the last thing in her career that she was going to do, that she wanted to achieve, I wouldn't go. Then put pressure on you and... No, she, you... I just wouldn't go. Okay. I'd just go, no, I'm not going. Um, so she gave me a letter when I got on the plane. She said, this is for you. When you get on the plane, read it. And I said, oh, okay. And I just thought it was in, you know, instructions for when I got here. So you know, about halfway over the ocean, I took this letter out and, and read it. And it was her saying that I was the end of her career and she was so proud. And it destroyed me. And I thought... I can't do this. This is just so bad. But then you get that other side of it where you think, now I've got to prove I could do it. Right. For all the faith she Make had good on it. your name. Yeah. And so she actually put me in a position where I had to do it or I was going to fail. Mm. Um, and I'm one of the, I'm a Capricorn. So there was no way I was going to walk over there and let some bloody American fuck over me. So I just came over here to show them that I was an actor. And it was the funnest time I've ever had simply because I was a newbie on the block. I had no idea. I was so bad that they had me at the, the hotel up by... Um, is this for Commando now or is this no, for Weird Science? No, Weird Science. Weird Science. They had me at the, at the uh, hotel up on um, the, the hill by... Uh, in Chicago. No, no, here. Oh, in here? Los Angeles. Oh, they shoot that here. I thought they shot it in no, Chicago. No, they shot it here. Okay. And it was... Um, up by Universal, you know, the Black oh, Tower. Yeah. Okay. 
I would walk down the hill because I like the exercise with a limousine driving beside me uh. because he had to pick me up. And I used to think it was so bizarre. So I would walk down the hill and he would stop just before we got to the gate. I would get in the limousine. We'd drive through the gate around to the Studio 22 and I'd get out. And at night we'd do the same thing. He'd pick me up at Studio 22. We'd drive out the gate. He'd stop and I'd walk up the hill because I wanted the exercise. And he would drive up beside me all the way up till I got in. And I'd say, see you tomorrow, Chris. I'd say, see you, bud. <laughs> we just did that. I mean, it was just so no, bizarre. Obviously, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna reflect nicely upon movies that have been a big success for you. And I gotta imagine Weird Science was pretty pretty. Uh, Weird powerful. Science. Everybody now it's become an icon. You know, Weird now Science is so thing. underrated as yes, one of the best yes, comedies of the eighties. Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall is at his peak mm -hmm. in that movie. He really just nails so much of it. You're fantastic. I mean, everybody's great. Even it was the... just a cool movie. Right. And then the other one that I loved, which never went anywhere, was Inner Space. Inner Space, Steven yeah. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I thought that that was just such an amazingly good little movie. Yeah. And it went nowhere. And Warner Brothers didn't have a fucking clue what to do with it. Um and it just was just a fun movie. Is it fair to say, I mean, I'm sure Interspace fans that are listening to this would be outraged at the next sentence I'm about to say. But is it fair to say that Interspace doesn't quite have the same cult following as, say, like Weird Science? I mean, what, what, to what degree would yeah, you say? It, no, it, it just didn't get a cult uh, following. And I think because the thing about Weird Science was it was aimed towards kids, mm. you know, like young kids, but, you know, the 20 years, yeah. 20 somethings. Whereas I think the biggest failure they had with uh, Interspace. Space, excuse me, was that they aimed it to adults. Mm. And it wasn't an adult movie. It was saying. this fantasy little fun movie that, yeah. that young adults could get involved in. And I think that's why it just went ass up. Um, also, I mean, the advertising, a hand with a little submarine on it. What the yeah. fuck does that yeah. mean? Well, you know, I think too, like home video certainly, I mean, oh, that now helped your, now your career. Huge. Yeah. Now it's huge. But I mean, even at the time, uh, I don't remember the Interspace being a big home video rental. I do remember Weird Science. I remember going to, you know, friends' parties, birthday parties and stuff and watching Weird Science or watching Road Warrior, watching mm -hmm. these movies um, that, I mean, Commando, I'm, all of those movies. I remember at some point renting, I don't ever remember renting Interspace. I've seen it, but I haven't seen it as much as those others because those others yeah. just were promoted more at the, at the and, video. And it also, it, 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 now it's big time. But yeah. what the funny thing about that film is, was we were shooting it on the, the set and at the same time, um, they were shooting... Uh, when I was shooting in a space, they were at, on Warner Brothers. I was on Warner Brothers in one studio shooting that. Mel Gibson was on Warner Brothers in another studio, studio sh shooting Lethal Weapon, and George Miller was in another studio <laughs> shooting The Witches of Eastwick. And not one of us saw the others, and the whole time we were there, everybody was so busy doing what they were what doing. What they were doing. But the three of us, the the three the that actually three. went yeah. on from that film were all on the same set doing three different films that was kind of that's hilarious well i want to get into road warrior in a minute ira we got a few business we usually just do a real quick interview but with vernon being here you got such a great backstory Absolutely. i want to get into his i'm glad we talked about your background let's do a little bit of uh talking about dead, dead corner and we can review 
You want to handle that? I do, but I'm first going to um, commandeer. I'm going to take over this podcast. Okay. I am. Unplanned. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Are you aware that today is a special day? Actually, because you're here, it's a special day. But yesterday was an equally special day. And that was because yesterday was Robert's birthday. Oh. Right? How, old are you? How old are you, Robert? I'm 38. 38 years old. So, yeah, uh, Vernon, Vernon, blow into this. I've been, I've been waiting. <laughs> no one knows. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Vernon. You realize that the I know, audience I know, does I know, not know funny. what, what I know, you're that's saying. That's the idea. Vernon, get ready. Pucker and blow. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Robert. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. I love that the audience. I know, I know. The audience just hears Vernon blow into this. <laughs> that was actually planned. And again, I've got to do this now. I know we're recording, but screw it. Here, for you. All right. Take a look at what's here, real I fast. I suppose I should open this on the uh, air. Just do it. This, just do it. You've, you've crossed out your ha- your Christmas. I know, I know, the birthday thing. Yeah, got a Christmas well, I'm sticker Jewish, on so here. Christmas sticker. Take a look at this. And, um, oh, we got some DVDs. We got some Blu rays, and the oh, three wow, Blu rays are. Take a, read them off. The Game, mm-hmm. The Founder, and The Train. I've been wow. wanting you to see The Train. Yeah, those, those three movies. Are all in Blu ray. Well, thank How about you that? So those are How about great, that? great films. How about that? Have you seen The Founder? Good. Have you seen that, Vernon? Oh, yeah, the one about um, the McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's wank. Yeah. The McDonald's wank. Yeah, I saw that. The Train's a good film. Thank you so much. For you. That's Happy really birthday. Nice. Now, having done that, let's talk about those who died. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> How's we that go for from a se- birthday to death. Now, Vernon, I do a little poem here. Robert uh-huh. gives us the illusion of being um, anxious, not caring about. Deep down, he really loves it, but he doesn't show that side. Right, Robert? No. Yeah. Please, uh, my, I want you to hear my oral interpretive uh, skills. Mm-hmm. The dead corner, and now the moment we have to say, the following people passed away. Got to tell you, unfortunately, we must. The following people have turned to dust, and we have the. We're fo- so respectful. Ver- I wish you could see show. Vernon. Look at Vernon's expression. Like, gee, what the fuck did I get myself into? Why am I here? I just look at him. Serious. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, Vernon. Which the are you following- more insulted by, the insensitivity or the fact that it's a bad poem? Hey, hey. <laughs> no, no. I was actually thinking. It reminds me of some of the dialogue I've had to read. Wait a minute. <laughs> Seriously. Wait a minute. Hamana, hamana, hamana. All right. Go All right. Ahead. We have um, a few people we do want to acknowledge. A French actress. Uh, she was 79 years old, Marielle Dark, and she was in the original Tall Blonde Man with One Black Shoe. We did a remake of that in this country with Tom Hanks, yep. uh, The Tall Man with One Red Shoe. Um. This is the original French film. She was in that. Also, we should acknowledge a 91-year-old Hungarian film director, screenwriter, Calorie Mock. And the third person we want to acknowledge is Kirk Douglas. He Kirk died. Douglas? Yeah. So, yeah. like, whatever. So, that's it. So, right. those people are dead. And again, we like to broaden it perhaps with the word death for death corner, death of a relationship. If anyone broke up, whether it's a marriage oh. or a dating relationship, let us know about it. Death of a career, actors making bad choices who we've never heard from again, whether it's via email, hearing from people. And if anyone would like to acknowledge that, we would welcome it. All that right. is the dead corner. Now, let's talk about. Week in review. Mm, so the week. Uh, Vernon. Uh-oh. Vernon. Yes. You're not off the hook yet. Listen uh-huh. to this one. Oh boy. Other movies we've seen during the last seven days. Some are stinkers. Some we want to praise. Some are old. Some are new. We now present the week in review. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Vernon, that's an awful poem. You've had to recite some awful dialogue. Would you do us a favor and read that poem for us? 
<sighs> you know, my career is going nowhere. I might as well just read it. The Week in Review. Other movies we've seen during the last seven days. Some are stinkers. Some we want to praise. Some are old and some are new. We now present The Week in Review. He <laughs> almost made that sound good. And with a kind remark, I must retort, and fuck you. <laughs> wow. You know, I found that very emotional. My yeah. words read by Vernon. By an actually good actor. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who, what you, movies you want to go first? See? Who's going to go first? Uh, man. Why don't you go first, Ira? All right. Did I you just see have... any movies this week? I, Vernon, be thinking, if you did see any movies this week. I did. Okay, great. So we'll hear about that in just a minute. Ira, what'd you see? I have one film... And unfortunately, I only saw half of the movie because it was on it was on Amazon Fresh. I wasn't at my place. Amazon Prime. I, I was on Prime. Amazon Fresh. Fresh, that's for food. Is that for food? Yeah. Amazon Fresh. Amazon Prime. And so I was at someone's home. You were getting fresh. We were watching the movie. And all of a sudden it got late and she told me to go home. And I said, but but I have to talk about this movie for next. Go home. It's getting late. So I only saw half of the film, but I'm including it anyway. I don't know if you are familiar with this, but it does tie in with our theme for this podcast about post-apocalyptic movies. It's a film I've never heard of called The Girl with All the Gifts. Have you ever heard of this film? It was no. made in no. England, 2016, and it's with Glenn Close. Glenn, and somebody made a comment on Rotten Tomatoes that uh, Glenn Close's IMDb page, this is really going to stick out. But it was about um, the post-apocalyptic. It was about zombies. She was a scientist. And it was made in 2016. And it has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. I found it fascinating. It was not horrible. And I found it riveting. And I still want to watch the second half. The Girl with All the Gifts. All right. Well, yeah. We'll check that yeah. out. Vernon, what did you see this week? What did I see this week? I uh, saw Ghost in the Shell. Oh, the remake, I'm assuming, or the original anime? No, the the movie version. The movie, it. the live action version. Yeah. Okay. So I'm still trying to figure it out. We we um, reviewed we, that on we this saw podcast. It. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. yeah. The only good thing <laughs> was the body that kept flashing Agreed. in and out. I, I I had this one thing. They didn't actually. I mean, I've seen the anime, so right. I know the story behind it, but. You know, she suddenly becomes invisible, and you're sitting there going, "How? How? Why?" Whereas, so there was no sort of, uh, you know, you couldn't stay here within the moment because you were kind of going, "What happened?" And then the other one I watched was um, a dog's the being or whatever it is. Um, Which one? The it, one, ab the one about the dog. It's a long title, isn't it? Is yeah, it a long yeah. title with many um the. I've seen it. Producer it, Joey will get on a, that. A dog's... Um, a dog's life? No. A dog's reason for being or something like that. It's got many words in it. What's what's that one about? It's about this one dog who dies and comes back and dies and comes oh, back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, I know what you're he, talking he about. He comes back and he's always looking for his reason for being here. What what does he have to do? What is it? And it, it it's a circular film. He actually ends up finally with the same person that he was with at the beginning. It's like several different dogs, right? It's yeah, always it's about four seems... or five different dogs. Okay. And he goes through different things and different I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. It's actually kind of cute. A 
dog's purpose. A dog's purpose. Oh, yeah, that has a lot of words in it. That's not the one I'm thinking of. No, it's only got three words. I mean, that's really a long title. God, I couldn't have thought of that. All right, Vernon. Okay. Hey, you want to read another poem? (laughs) Actually, I could could probably go, a dog's purpose. There was another movie with the word dog that had many words in it. But, okay, I stand corrected. Lots lots of words in that. Now, are you watching that? You have some... You have some grandkids, right? Do you have you have some children? You have some grandkids, is that right? Uh oh. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me see. What yeah. do I have? Um, Vernon, I this have... is the most impressive thing on your Wikipedia page. He has a son, a grandson, two granddaughters, and one great grandson. First of all, is that true? Not unless somebody I don't know has been screwing somebody I haven't heard about. <laughs> um, I do have a, a son, and I do have a grandson. That's where it ends. The two granddaughters and the one great-grandson. Not so much. Uh, you know what? These people know more about me than I do, <laughs> and that really scares me. I would um, hope that you would know more about that. I mean, this is this is like when I was in Japan, I, they did an interview with me, and they came with all of this stuff about me. And, and it was so funny because they're so polite. And, and the gentleman sitting there, and he goes, When you were three, do you remember... And I went, no. (laughs) What? When I was three? They had shit that I had done that I had. I I don't know where they got it, truly. And I'm not so sure. It should be corrected. It should be corrected. Were you watching A Dog's Purpose with grandkids or was this just on your own? But you just watching A Dog's Purpose for your own? That's a kid's movie, right? I have many purposes and one of them is to watch movies (laughs) like that on my own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was watching with my dog. Oh, with your dog? Yeah. Eddie, oh. who barked at you because he doesn't like you. Um, that one. Little woofy shit over there in the office. No, I was watching it with my wife. Okay. And me and Eddie sitting down watching it because we were going to watch. Oh, the reason we watched it was we always watch Game of Thrones two days later because uh, yeah. we don't watch it on Sunday because we're usually out or doing something. So we usually watch it on Tuesday or Wednesday night. And um, it, we put on the TV to watch Game of Thrones and it went, you know, it hadn't come up yet. It, last night it was up, but we still haven't watched it. Watch it tonight, I guess. Um, so it was like, well, want to watch something. So I, I brought up Netflix, you know, thing, and I was just going through and it was a dog's purpose. And I went, please don't say yes. <laughs> I'd like to watch that one. Motherfucker. <laughs> so, you know. I had to be nice. I'd said, sure, whatever you want to watch, sweetheart. Um, so I had to sit there and watch. A dog's purpose. But yes. And I'm, I'm the worst person to put in animal movies because I have this thing for animals. So um, I, I get all teary-eyed at, at cartoons, for Christ's sake. So, you know, putting up realistic things just drives me insane. That's great. I haven't seen it yet. I want to check it out. It is actually, it's a nice little movie. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just a nice little movie. It's enjoyable. It's not something that you'll jump up and down about, but it's a nice little movie. The, the dogs has, are wonderful. The title has too many words. But other <laughs> I know. I know. If, if, it was, if it was a simple title, you could remember it. But with a title like that, it's like, too oh, many words, too many words. 
Robert, what have you seen? Uh, This week I saw, uh, because we're recording this podcast a little bit early, so to be fair, we haven't had a full week since our last one, and and I did watch the new Game of Thrones episode, so I did get caught up on Game of Thrones. Shut the fuck up, I don't want to hear about Uh, it. So everyone dies in Game of Thrones, everyone. That's the big twist ending. Yeah, that's the big twist ending. Enjoy it when you watch it, Vernon. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. So I didn't get a chance to watch many movies per se. This is a movie podcast, so unfortunately I'm still watching some television getting caught up there okay let's talk about the road warrior because we've talked we talked a little bit about vernon's career but vernon now i want to get more specific about the road warrior so okay what do you first of all i just want to turn it over to you because i'm sure you've you've done conventions and this kind of stuff before and you've yep. uh, i'm sure you've told a number of these kinds of stories so i'll turn it over to you if you have any just uh just basic stories that you want to tell that people the standards i guess um I, the the whole thing of, of Road Warrior was that everybody that was on that set was there because they wanted to be. Mm. And I always consider myself extraordinarily lucky that I started my career at the top because mm. George Miller is just an amazing human being. He um, gets things out of you that you didn't know you had. And the whole cast was amazing. Everybody that was in that cast knew why they were there. They knew their characters backwards. There wasn't one person who you looked at and went, yeah. Um, it was just all perfectly done, and it was a lot of fun. And and we were shooting in a place called Broken Hill, which hadn't had rain for something like twenty five years. There were kids that had never seen rain living in that that uh, town, and of course it rained. It actually snowed um, because the minute we got there, God looked down upon us and said. <laughs> going to get you fuckers um and he did so of course the only person in that whole movie that had no clothes on was you (laughs) i had a bare ass which i fought so hard not to have and lost i had a bare crutch basically which i gave up about um can i interrupt real fast i want to ask a question mm -hmm. a lot of now we began earlier with this podcast talking about some uh, some homosexual roles, and there's been some discussion about the latent homosexuality of your characters. And I, from what I had read, you did not think that your character was homosexual. No, I and never that, have. And that the the golden youth child or the golden youth character. Well, it's, it's because of things. Miss, if there, there's a book out called Road Warrior: The Script, mm. uh, which is the actually the original script of the film. Um, and in the original script, the film started off with um, my marauders riding up a hill to a farmhouse, mm-hmm. and they start dragging people out as I ride up to the farmhouse. And then Max kind of comes up on you guys while you're doing that, right? Um, yeah, but before that, all of that happens is that um, I ride up, and this young kid, blonde kid, comes running out of the house, and one of the um, uh, one of the marauders grabs him by the hair and drags him back and puts a, a knife to his throat because they've raped and killed his parents and his bigger sister. Um, and is about to cut his throat. I stop him, and I just look at the kid, and he can't talk. He's so traumatized. Mm. He's sort of just looking at me with his big eyes, gasping. And I just take pity on him or whatever reason. I just grab him and put him on the back of my bike, and I ride down the hill. And then it actually goes through a black and you hear all the roar and you see Mal's car and it's the same opening as it's got now yeah and then you see me coming up on him with the kid now grown up on the back of the he, to me he was my surrogate son that's kind of what I thought was uh... there was never any sexual and the reason that I'm so <coughs> pissed off when he gets killed is that he was 
your my son. family. Yeah. Um, but everybody looked at their own. They got their and of course fighting it gets you nowhere. As a right. my manager once said, you know, if you fight it, they know you were. You know, so you just have to shut up and take it. You know, well, and it's I mean, like, the, the, I didn't like that connotation because to me that wasn't the character you put together. No. Yeah. And the funny thing about that film is, is the character was twenty-one lines, and he was not a big character in the film. It was just that. For some reason, when that film started filming, I guess because of the presence I had and the yeah. way I did it, George just kept letting it go. And the, char- the the actual character began to take over the film, which became a real problem because it's Mel's film, not mine. Uh, and um, and did- of course, being the, the little fuckwit from the down the block, I had no idea. I'd never uh, done a film before, so all I'm doing is doing the role. I'm out there doing my thing, not trying to upset anybody. But of course, what's happening is I'm upsetting everybody because I don't understand the the rules to the game, you know. And so it it caused a rift between Mal and I, which I never understood. Um, I have in later years, and um, I've seen him a couple of times. It's uh, it was a shame because I I think it was brought about sheerly by. Um, my own stupidity of not understanding. But, you know, I hear what you're saying, and I can understand his point of view, but at the same time, it, it almost makes Max a stronger character. Luke needs Darth Vader, yeah. right? And by making a stronger, more interesting villain, it really it makes us believe in the Max character more. I mean, look at what he's overcoming. You have to have mm-hmm. a great villain in order to have a great hero. Well, it also came around, too. You've got the other side of it is that uh, Humongous was supposed to be the villain. Right. The Lord Humongous. It was uh, just that Wes became the villain. You know, but you know what? I, I, the I, I, character. I see. I can understand that concept, but I think the way that it's set up now, there's almost more mystery about Humongous. And, I mean, there's mystery about all oh, of yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Remember, this was all before I started working with George. Yeah. And then everything changed you know, because he started to see where he could go with me has he reached out to you about any of the and because he's trying to reboot a lot of the 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 whole franchise has he ever discussed anything about the possibility i knew um right uh, the whole point was that um when they first brought up the fact of doing fury road which is 10 years ago Mm -hmm. 12 years ago there was a whole big thing on the internet about me being in it you know people were sort of writing letters doing the how i keep bumping things i'm sorry i'm a clumsy ass oh you're fine um uh, the people kept writing in and trying and i ran into the co-writer in london at a convention and he walked up to me i had no idea who he was and he walked up to me and he said uh, i have a message for you from george and i said i'm sorry he said george miller and i said oh you know George? And he said, yes, yes, I've just, uh, I was over in Australia writing um, the first draft of uh, Fury Road. I don't think it was called Fury Road back then, but whatever it was. And I said, oh, that's that's really cool. What's the message? He said, call off the hound, you're not in the film. And I went, I didn't well, know that there I were was hounds. ever going to be in the film. Wow. And it became this thing, and I was talking to George, and I, I knew. There was no way they could put me in the film. They just couldn't. And George just said to me, he said, um, you knew why? And I said, yeah, it was obvious. You created, (laughs) George and I do this all the time. I said, you created such an incredibly indelible character in Wes that no matter what you did to me, you put a bag over my head and if I said one word, they'd know who I was. If they could see my eyes, they'd know who I was. So now suddenly you're doing a remake of Road Warrior. Right. 
you're not doing your, and he said exactly. Well, you know, and that almost became a problem with Thunderdome where you've got Bruce Spence who, I mean, to me as a, as a kid, I was confused because yep. I still thought it, I thought it was the same character because he, he also flies and it yeah. was like, I, I didn't realize that that's a different character. That might've been where George decided he wasn't going to do that again. Yeah. But, um, you know, he always says that I created the character. He just gave me the, the parts. Um, but I knew that I wouldn't be in it. And I, you know, to me, George started my career. He gave me a film which launched me into hyperspace. Mm -hmm. you know, most people start at the bottom and work their way out. I started at the top. <laughs> and um, worked your way to the bottom. No, I'm kidding, my, I'm no, believe me, I am. I worked my way down. Take my word for it. And then I started going back up again, um, which is kind of fun. But yeah, so I, I have nothing but the greatest respect for that man. And a lot of people have said he's got two more to do. He's doing Wasteland and he's doing Furiosa. You know? Wes could turn up in that as you know a different character you don't or, know or even uh, um, the I'm sorry the name escapes me the guy who plays the toe cutter in the original Mad oh Mad Hugh Key Burns yeah love and, Hugh Key Burns and I mean they did a very clever job of disguising him so that you couldn't tell it was the same but, but the same the, actor yeah he got away with that also because um, Mad Max wasn't as successful yeah. here yeah. as Road Warrior was. Yeah. And the characters in Road Warrior became so much more identifiable and so much more part of the conscience of everybody that went to the movies. I mean, for God's sake, they used Road Warrior at um, UCLA as a teaching tool in their editing and sound and something yeah. else. So it's you know it became one of those films, um, whereas the original one didn't. Yeah. Um, so you could get around it. People... You know, people recognized him or that, but it wasn't such a drag away from what he was doing. Wes would have been. If, I, if I'd have played that role, oh, fuck. It just would have been suicide, you know. Yeah. It just, you just couldn't do it. I wouldn't have done it. It's just like, no, because you're just destroying something that could be so good. Right. But I could turn up one of the next two. You never know. <laughs> hey. Well, we just watched the film recently, Ira and did. I did. Just and, a few uh, days ago. And as we were watching it, uh, you know, just noticing a lot of the stunts. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, Ira, Ira hated it. He called your performance sophomoric <laughs> and pedantic. That's what he said was very rudimentary. And I defended you, Vernon. I well, want you to know. Actually, he's pretty close to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we were talking about the the music and uh, and some of the sound you just mentioned. And I want to know, out of all the, the elements, taking yourself out of of the all the of equation. the elements, out of the equation. What is your favorite part of the movie that doesn't have to do directly with you? What do you like about the, the film? The end. The end. I thought that was the best part of the movie. It was just so well done. The, the epilogue end? The very, very? No, just end. those two or, words. The end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I, the, my favorite part of the movie. You know what? It's... Your you favorite can't... element of the movie, if that makes sense. Not necessarily the part, but like... Uh, my favorite elements the of the movie the... are the um, are the uh, editing. The I editing. Mean, I think George's editing style is amazing. You know, he will cut the thing frame by frame if he needs to, and he'll take out frames or add frames to get exactly what he wants. The stunts I thought were brilliant, but mm. I think above all. Um, I think the camera work was the most stunning part of that film. Some of those cameras are inches above the, the pavement, and they're just they're hurtling along it. Yeah, 80 miles lost, an hour easy. They lost three of them on the set. Oh, did they? Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. We do things like that. They're just so mature. Um, but I thought that, you know, when you look at the film itself, with me out of the equation, even so, I thought that the um, the casting of the characters yeah. and the people that were put into those roles was brilliant. That the uh, cinematography was above and beyond. I mean, just wonderful. The music was just incredible i mean you know it just it sold the film editing uh directing you know you don't even have to say uh with george was just <laughs> literally you don't have to say anything because he doesn't um, put any words in his movies it's just all action yeah he, he lets you say things when it's necessary <laughs> he, he's not gonna write shit for you to say if it's not the funny thing was in the actual the script the movie that book the end was different at the end of it the was car kind of veers off uh, well, it actually was me in that vehicle, right? And, and I had on the front of it the feral kid. It was never on the big truck. I had the feral kid on the front of it upside down. I was using him as a ram. Um, and then I have this thing with Mel, and Mel hurls that trident, and it gets me. And then you see the thing go out, and it turns in a big circle and stops, and it's just you just kind of slowly just die, revving. right? Yeah, it's just revving. It's yeah. like that, and he's here looking at it. And it's going to be, wham, you know, like the end of it. And then he starts driving the truck towards and the thing doesn't move. So he just veers around it. And as he goes past, you see the trident through my back into the front of the car. So it was a different ending. But I think the ending that they did worked so much better. I and, think so too. And it was a much, much more interesting way for it i mean i've re- i've read the script that you're talking about and i don't mean any i mean look this is my favorite film of all time and but i and i can see i can try to be objective about it but that kind of, the ending that was originally written really just doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same respect for the characters the characters mm-hmm. deserve a big explosive ending the yeah. audience deserves that by the end of the movie you've your pussy is wet at that point, so you need to get fucked. Uh, that didn't come out right, but... Yes, it did. Okay. <laughs> I think it came out right, I, don't I, you? I, yeah, I, I think... <laughs> it came out all right. I, I have yeah. actually haven't discussed my pussy with anybody lately. <laughs> I'm just kind of... Let's like, discuss your pussy, Vernon. <laughs> I don't know whether it's wet or not. Jeez. I mean, <laughs> After that, it probably is. What was um, the... <laughs> What was the atmosphere like with the cast members? And I, I don't, I don't want to be that that person who's asked the questions like, "What was it like to work with with Mel?" But all of the cast and crew, what was the general atmosphere of the cast and crew? Uh, I mean, you lived together basically we all in Silverton, lived right? Together. Yeah, in Silverton, we all. No, Silverton was just uh, we lived in Broken Hill. Oh, you lived there. Yeah, okay, we shot at Silverton. Okay, um, but the uh, the we were always together. Okay. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, the funny thing about this is everybody said, what was it like with Mel? My f- most favorite memory of Mel is him standing in my motel room in a pair of bunny slippers and a tatty old robe on the phone to his wife about the birth of their first child. Oh, wow. And I always remember him like that, no matter what he is, what he's done or hasn't done. That's how I remember Mel. And as an actor that you were working with, he was amazing. He was so giving and so easy to work with. And he gave you everything you needed to make a scene just, you know, sail. And you said there's been some tension in the years since. Well, since, I don't know that it's, 
Well, there was tension because of people. I, it was mostly it was because of all the write-ups. Where number one, people kept doing these write-ups saying that I wasn't an actor, that I'd been taken off the streets as a bikey and mm. put into the role, and that you know, uh, and so. I guess that became a problem. It was like, well, you know, we have a non-actor that's taking over the movie, basically. Yeah. Um, which wasn't true. You just had a non-actor that had no fucking idea what he was doing. Um, but it was just those kind of things. I mean, I met Mel um, at the uh, screening of one of his, I think, Apocalypso. And I really didn't want to go up and talk to him because I just didn't want to be that one person yeah. that goes up that, you know, fucking up his night. Right. So, but the people that were putting on the screening sort of demanded I go up and say hi. I hadn't seen Mel for 20 years. So I walked up on stage and the DP that had done... Um, Dean Simler. Yeah, Dean was there. So I know Dean and his wife. So I sort of said hi to Dean. And then Mel came over and he just sort of stood in front of me and looked up at me and he went, hmm... Still a big fuck, aren't you? <laughs> Turned around, walked away, and I went, "Yeah, I think." But um, wow. I adore Mel. Um, you know, people have asked me so often my thoughts on Mel and what happened to Mel. You know, I always put it this way: I don't give a fuck who you are. If you don't get the full story, you have no right to judge. When you only get one side of anything, it's quite easy to make decisions about how that person is or how they aren't. Number two, you know what? If it was me or you or you or you, well, you, you fucking wouldn't do it. But if it was any of us real people here, no, I, re um, I was pretty harsh against the Jews. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah I'm yeah. Jewish well, yet well, I'm anti-Semitic. Oh well, that's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Good, yeah. Good. he hates well, himself. Yeah. Oh good, um, like any good Jewish person would. <laughs> but I mean, if it was any of us that did or said. No one would give a shit. We really, they really wouldn't. It would just be you get a smack on the back of the head and told to grow up. It would be that simple. Mel Gibson, it becomes headlines because it's a little bit of glory for the person that puts it in the newspaper yeah. and that. So you know, and he becomes the person that they're they're um, denigrating, and it just annoys me, you know, that they do this because he's a brilliant director. I mean, he's probably one of the best directors this country had um and he's a brilliant actor and i would work with him in a heartbeat uh without any reservations any reservations yeah. and um i still consider him to be a friend regardless of what and i mean if, uh, somebody that i know ran into him one day and and just happened to mention me and he said oh if you see him please tell him uh hi hmm. So, I mean, there's still that nice little thing going between us. And I, um, I would stand up for him, you know. I think yeah. he's a great guy. And I, have, and I can only judge him from what I've had my experience of him. That's all I can judge him by. Mm. I can't judge him by any of the other bullshit, and I don't get into it. So, uh, apart from that... Miserable note that we bring down this whole fucking <laughs> ah. podcast. No, but you know what? That's what no. everyone wants to know. Yeah, and and it, it, people want to know your thoughts on that situation. And I think you you've handled yourself quite eloquently. I mean, you're saying, look, I don't I don't give a fuck about that. Not until I hear what he has to say. Uh, personally, I tend to agree with you. I, I don't I don't think it's fair to be judged by something that where you recorded without your knowing and that's being released. I think that's kind of well, unfair even, to do. You know, that part of it is just. We've well, talked about we it are, on this are, podcast are. before a few times. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I, I don't like the most is is we don't hear what they said to get that reaction. Yeah. 
you know, come for a drive on the freeway with me one day. <laughs> no, thank you. You, you <laughs> want to see somebody that's a ravey fucking lunatic? Come with me for a drive on the freeway. Do you, do you I, rip out your, oh, your assless chaps and oh, start getting man, on top of trucks? And, I am uh, prepared to get out of the car and rip doors off other cars. <laughs> I just, oh, I get, I get so beside myself. Um, we all do. We all have that point and we all say and do things in that moment. I have said things in that moment because um, I'm an Australian. I'm a loudmouth little shit. Um, and I say things that embarrass a lot of people because yeah. they don't quite understand my horrid sense of humor, which is pretty pathetic at times. Um, but, you know, I, I always look at the people in life and think, you know, get over it. You're not that fucking precious. You know, it's just this whole thing of people get so bent out of shape over everything. Yeah. It's like, dear God. Uh, it's, uh, lighten up because tomorrow we might all be dead it's that simple and especially at the moment mm. um, it's just not worth the hassle you know unless somebody I, the things I hate is people treating animals badly mm -hmm. um, because animals like us have many feelings and they know exactly what's going on you know all this bullshit the one thing I hate is when people say animals have no idea they're being taken to a gas chamber I got news for you they fucking know they've been taken to a gas chamber. They know they're going to die on that day. And I don't like that bullshit. And people have chained their dog up out in the rain, out in the thing. Why have a dog if that's your idea? Well, it's be nice to animals because they're part of the ecology of this world. They're, we are put here to look after them. I don't give a shit what we think. The other one is women. Well, I, I want to talk about the animals real fast. Do you know Temple Grandin, the... Um, the autistic woman she invented the the better cow catcher she, she basically invented the way to slaughter cattle because they know that they're gonna they're yes. being led to slaughter she invented this system of how to basically get cattle to not know what's coming up ahead they have the, you know herd mentality and things like that i think that you're yeah, you right you can't let them stand watching what the person in front's doing. right yeah i mean I've, I've seen my dog and i've seen other little dogs you know that have come across a pit bull or something and don't get me wrong i'm, I'm not saying pit bulls period but i'm saying a pit bull or something yeah and that dog is is aggressive yeah not because the dog's aggressive because the asshole on the other end of the lead is aggressive and so it translates to the dog and i have seen the way the little dog that's standing there reacts terror i mean just terror it's like you or you being outside and a six football guy with a club comes up and stands in front of you and says you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna beat your fucking head in you're shitless you that's, are that's you isn't it probably <laughs> that's you in the dark yeah, alley yeah, in the dark alley um and with women, I women should be treated with respect. It's that simple. I mean, you know, I don't care. Yeah, we all say things. I the worst. I say shit that I shouldn't say, but we also should be man enough to admit it and yeah. say sorry if you say the wrong thing. And we do without thinking. We say the wrong thing, but we should treat each other and especially women with respect because they deserve it. They work for it, and they should get it. And, you know, the sooner we, we start to understand that everybody around us, regardless of color, creed, religion, or anything else, deserves respect and to be treated as an equal, that's when we start to have actually be a human society. And we ain't anywhere near there. Uh, you touched on something that I want to get into, and I know Ira wants to talk about as well, because we kind of discussed this before we came in. I want to talk about, just on that very note you just mentioned, an apocalypse. 
if an apocalypse were to actually happen right now, do you think that our society would start to decay into something similar to what we see in the road warrior? Do you think that we would have these marauding tribes that would fight over resources? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that we would start to kind of uh, help one another out and get along? You know what? It's, it's an interesting hypothesis because um, I find road warrior really scary because if you look at road warrior now and then you start reading the newspapers or listening to the news you're watching road warrior again yeah because we are actually doing what that movie portrayed and it's scary the the problem i find is real simple and i'm not denigrating america do not get me wrong it'll be in many other places but i live here so i can use this as a primary source if we had the apocalypse tomorrow, regardless of how it came, you have the people who will try desperately to help other people and make sure people can live. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you also have all these people who have nothing better in their life and they live throughout America than to have guns and shit and to go and shoot everybody they can to take everything they want. And that's where the problem lies. They're not going to help. They're going to kill and they're going to become the overlords, basically. I guess I, I don't... We've talked about it before. We, yeah. I don't agree with we, that. We, Robert and I discussed this very point a couple of weeks ago, having seen uh, you know, various apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic... Post-apocalyptic? Movies. And, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, and I know Robert articulated the point of view that he actually feels that if that were God, to bit, God forbid to happen, that people would indeed bond together as a unit and try their best well, to make things like better. Even like the, the hurricane that's happening in Texas, right? I mean, you see plunder. all these people in their boats going out to try to save oh, yeah. other people. And I'm but, sure you will see charlatans who come out and try to... But that's what looting. I'm saying. There the are looting the people, has already started. Yeah, the people will get together. They will get together. But there's going to be that faction... There will be that faction. That is going to be the the marauders But I don't think that's a big society. faction. I think that's a small percentage that we, I, I think, that we as a society tend to focus on. We tend to focus on the negative because it's outside the norm. The norm is for us to all get along and for us to cooperate. Like the, the I guess, the villagers, whatever the, the people in the compound are in the, in the road warrior. That's mm -hmm. how we behave. And maybe that sounds very naive. naive. Maybe it sounds, you know, overly optimistic. But I feel like we, we right now, all the structures that we have in our government and our society, those are all built by us. We've created those structures. So what's to say that we can't rebuild those structures if, if we have a nuclear bomb that kills everybody or something like that? I feel like we would just go back to building our structures. That's what humans do. You, when we had Eric on the podcast, he was almost aghast that oh, I believe that. Yeah. He actually did say that you were naive. And he and I spoke about it a few times. I admire your point of view, and I, I hope you're right if it were to God forbid to happen. But one thing's for sure, uh, if we went through that experience, our, our planet, uh, the destruction of civilization certainly makes for better storytelling and for better movies. And that's what I'm saying. And, oh, that's, yeah. what, and that's why it's perhaps coloring people's perceptions. Yes. Maybe that's why so many people but also, disagree with you. Right. Know, you you've also got this thing. I remember when I was talking to George and I, I was talking about the character and, and how it would be. And I could never get my, my mind around who wears was and how he um, operated. And George gave me a very simple lesson. So let me ask you a question. If tomorrow the apocalypse came, it doesn't have to be an atomic attack. It could be a sunspot that takes out sure. every piece of electric equipment on the planet. 
Now you're back to basics. You know, you don't have electricity, you don't have computers, you don't have communications, you have to fend for yourself, you have to survive. You have a family and friends on a street. At the end of your street is a big supermarket packed with goods of all different types in bottles, in cans, that could sustain you for quite a number of years. What are you going to do? I said, probably go down there and get as much of it as I could. He said, uh-huh. And then um, if you saw the people from the next block coming up to take that stuff, what would you do? Well, I wouldn't let them. Oh, how would you stop them? I'd shoot the fuck. Uh-huh. But I don't think that that's what you'd actually do. Actually, you think you would, you, you would murder someone over resources? Yeah. Because it comes down to survival. It comes down to survival. And Norm, being who Norm is, doesn't give a fuck. It comes down to survival. And the norm doesn't matter. What happens is that, like every animal on this planet, we have an inbuilt survival mechanism. The guy that was out in the desert and got his leg trapped between those two rocks oh, and couldn't hand, get out, right? hand, sorry, yeah. and cut his hand off. Yeah. He didn't do it because he wanted to be macho. He did it because he wanted to live. Right. And that's the problem we have. Eventually, don't get me wrong, eventually what will happen is that society as a whole will come together. And society as a whole will contribute and make things work. Reform. But when it happens, it's basically every man for himself. It's going to be this thing where people will need to survive and will want to survive. Look at that wonderful work of fiction William Golding, Lord of the Flies. Right. Lord of the Remember Flies. Lord of the Flies? Yeah. Oh, no. and that, Love I it. found that really riveting. But I guess that, all that of this premise, is... The it destruction makes for, of civilization. Lord of the Flies is my favorite book. Me too. Road Warrior is my favorite movie. I love these stories, but I just don't think that they are absolute... I mean, they are reflections of a part of our society that we're very uh, scared about. I mean, even the mm -hmm. title Lord of the Flies is like an analogy for Beelzebub, right? I mean, that's what it means. Lord of the Flies means Beelzebub. So, I mean, that that's kind of a reflection of the worst of our society. And it, to me, it's, it's a really interesting concept. And I think that's what attracts me to those, those stories is that, that the, the norms versus the, the exceptions to those norms. So I hear what you're saying. I just don't know I, that I could ever murder someone over a can of peas. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it always it comes down to that, that one thing, survival. If, if you have a family and their only survival is what you have, and someone tries to take it off you, do you give it to them and then watch your family die because they can't survive? What would you do? It's, yeah. it's that whole horrible choice we have to make. I think what I would do... In, in your loft downtown LA on the seventh floor, let's say that we had yeah. this scenario and you had, you had a throng of people just pounding and screaming and we're about to bust in for, for food, resources, water. Uh, okay. And now, you had will, a firearm. First of all, I'm would not saying that those would things wouldn't happen. Would you At shoot? that point, yeah. if it's coming down to that and there's no reason to be talked, yes. But I don't think it ever gets to that point. That's the problem. Is I don't think it has to come to that point. Humans are an amazing species in our ability to communicate. Right now, we're having a great discussion about these ideas. We're all intellectual people who could sit down and say, here's what we have to do. Now, I understand you got a, t a clock ticking you know, with, with a time in terms of there's only so many resources before we all die. And that now becomes a, 
that starts to complicate the problem tremendously. But I think we talk. I think that's how we solve most of our problems is we communicate. We're not doing a good job at the moment. <laughs> Do you mean in the politics right, or in this, in podcast? this podcast? No, in the politics. The podcast. Oh, shit. We're still on there. <laughs> but anyway, that's just a food for thought. There's something I wanted yeah, to pick I mean, your it's, brain about. It's, yeah, it, to me, it's, you know, it's still one of my pet things is you know, the three things that I get upset the most about are Animals, women, and children. Hmm. Children can't defend themselves. Nah, fuck they kids, have man. to be defended. I, they deserve all the beatings they get. No, yeah, no, but I'm always, you know, they they deserve to be protected, and women the same. Um, but once again, it's that whole thing I said when we first started this: is you have to earn that respect. You know, you just can't expect that people are going to give it to you for no reason. You've got to actually earn it, right. prove it. That, that you are worthy of it. Um, but then I think you should, you know, I always used to say that the three ways to get me pissed off the quickest is to say something stupid about my mother, run down my wife, and tell me I can't act. <laughs> In that order. In that order. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I want to ask you about Obviously, there's, uh, you know, the structures of, of the Road Warrior uh, extremely parallel the Western, the, the classic oh, yeah. anti-hero it, it Western. Was, it is a Western, right? My character was very much like Shane out of the movie Shane. Well, wait, with, your character was Shane? No, no, no. Out of the movie Shane, I was the villain. Yeah. And there's that whole sequence when you first see me on the, the, the street, you know. Oh, like yeah, yeah. After, and Mel's up on the thing and they do that. That push in, push yeah. in onto me. That's how they did it on the showdown between Shane and the Man in Black. Right. You have that whole thing, and then if you looked at my character, my eyes were very slightly um, oval. Right. And I had my he shaved my ear so that I looked a little Japanese. So I was a samurai. Mm. Bad. Oh. The bad side of the samurai. George works all these things into the film with all the mythology brilliantly. Well, so clearly you there's had some, that thing going. There's some parallels between, I mean, you, you have a mohawk, right? And you yep. have the Native American war paint. Yep. Right, and I right. noticed in your office that you have some Native American art up. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. what the, the uh, do, you, do you see those structures as well? And is, does that, I mean, does that fuel your fascination and your... Um, your connection with Native American art and what what is that? What is that connection between I, I think, you and I think basically that because of my heritage, mm. but also I always wanted to play a Mohawk, an Indian. <sighs> I re that was one of the characters that I wanted to do was a, a Mohawk. Was that your idea or was that George's idea? I think it came out of probably discussions that we were talking okay. about, and I'm, I'm sure it was all George's idea, not mine. I'm sure I was just talking about you know how I felt, and I. I think we had a discussion about the war paint because I wanted it. I uh. don't know. I don't think George did. I'm, I could be very wrong. But, but to um, your recollection, that's what you recall. The recollection, I think, is that I wanted that because I just had that fascination. Um, and it's so great because it's before the final showdown and you, we never really see you put it on. That's right. No, that's right. But it's so great when on. it shows up and it's like, oh, this guy's yeah, fucking yeah, serious. Yeah. He's on, yeah. you know? Yeah it's, yeah, it's when I'm sitting with my eyes closed. Right. Yeah, I... There was a lot of things that we did in that were very, you know, they, they have this mythology behind them, which is, well, I think what made that movie so successful was there's a whole 
mythology to the whole. When movie. I was in grad school, I, I studied film in grad school, and I, I was very fascinated with Will Wright. And he wrote a lot about structuralism, and he talked about Shane in particular. He talked about a lot of Western films, and The Road Warrior being my favorite, I I felt like I'd uncovered this hidden gem. Going, oh my gosh, because no one had ever explained to me that that's a Western. But I was going. This is exactly a very stereotypical anti-hero Western. And I was, I, you know, the hero has to have uh, the better weapon. He has the fastest gun for everybody. And he has the fastest horse. And he meets the comedic fool before he goes into the town. And he can never rejoin society. All of these structures. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this is it. This is exactly the Road Warrior. And I, I always thought that was really interesting because you're kind of the the head the chief. man in black yeah 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 i mean yeah uh, i mean there's only a, what is it seven storyline mm-hmm. excuse me i mean star wars is right. a western in space right. sure um road warrior was a western in the apocalyptic future uh because that's where it works the best i mean it is a western you know you got the villains the indians out there all the yeah. marauders i think You've billy bob thornton the, had said something about that i think billy bob thornton had said that there's only there's either uh a magical frog in an ordinary in an ordinary pond or a or or a magical pond with an ordinary frog something like that that basically that's all the storylines come down to it i'm just um eternally grateful that i Happened to be put into one of the better ones. Obviously, Road Warrior is considered to be one of the best action films ever made, but it's one of the very, very, very few films where the sequel is better than Than the the original. original. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who can name other films where the sequel is actually better than the original? Maybe Maybe Terminator. Maybe Godfather. Yeah. And maybe, and that's it. Other than those three. Just a handful. I think think we're very fortunate that that, um, Road Warrior just. You know, I'd look at Road Warrior, and I always look at it one way, that it actually it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And you knew why everybody was there. You knew why everybody did what they did, which is very unusual for movies because a lot right. of movies want you to think about it. But the, the thing with Road Warrior was that it put you in that position. You became part of it. You were either the good side or the bad side. You became part of the story. And um, that's what I think was so wonderful about it. And, um, you know, the original was made over quite a long time at weekends because they both worked and every dollar they got they put into shooting more of it. So they just didn't have the money to make it as spectacular. They made it brilliantly. But they, the thing with um, Road Warrior was that they were able to up the game. Yeah. I I have to ask you this. I believe it was the first third of the film, and I believe Mel Gibson's character was looking at you through binoculars, and you had the crossbow. You had the crossbow aimed at that girl. Was that crossbow? It's his hand. Is the hand? Yeah. But it was with... Yeah, and you fired, and she was out of frame, and I'm sure assuming that she rolled No, that wasn't his character. That was a different character. That was a different character. I I rode out just before he decided to rape her. Can that be edited out, my question? (laughs) We have a dumb shit on the other side of the table. Now who, it's definitely not going to be edited up. Who watched the movie two nights ago and has no fucking idea what it's about. I'm so happy I'm here. Oops. Well, to be fair, his uh, his question was, because we were admiring that stunt because it's done so well. You see the woman on the ground and then you it pans, it tilts up to, to the 
the Mohawk bicycle. Yeah, the one part of it that I was in was shooting the guy. Yeah. When the guy was there, they were holding him against the wheel and I shoot him through the shoulders and pin him to the side of the vehicle. That was the bit I was in. The the girl was the other guy rapes and then he shoots her through the chest. Right. Shot her through the tit. God, God, what a waste. Of an arrow. (laughs) 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 All right, well... Okay, one thing that we do, the name of the, the podcast is Money Shot Podcast. So uh-huh. we always, for every film, we try to talk about our favorite money shots of the film. So what are the shots that you're going to remember uh, years on? Now, for you, it's almost every every scene is a money <laughs> every, shot. Every fucking scene is a money shot for me. But what is the most memorable, like when, when someone says The Road Warrior, what's the first shot that comes to mind in the whole film? The first shot that comes to mind in the whole film is mm-hmm. me pulling the arrow out of my arm. Ah, on on the bike towards the beginning, right at the beginning. I mean, that I think that sets up this whole mythology. Yeah, your character. This guy it says just, so much. Yeah, and I think what says more than anything is not just so much pulling that arrow out of the arm, is he just takes the arrow and, and puts, puts it, it back into <laughs> his quiver on his leg. It's like that one's yours. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, I thought that, that to me is one of those unforgettable little scenes where you see it and you go, ah. And the other one would probably be um, kicking the shit out of the guy up on the boardwalk when I give him the headbutt. Oh, yeah, yeah, doing the flip over him. Yeah, um, all of that stuff that's, for me, and I think one of the, the scenes that I loved the most was when the truck goes roaring through all the marauders and the tent gets ripped off the yeah the lovers the, the naked guys yeah there. I thought that was kind of fun that's that's one of those pervert scenes <laughs> he looked at me again <laughs> Ira what about you what was your there were two well, the shot. feral feral kid and the uh, the boomerang that whole sequence uh-huh. with the, and chop remember that the fingers mm-hmm. being like mm-hmm. whoa that was just that just stayed with me. Uh, fi- is it the last shot in the movie where we see Mel Gibson just standing there in that haunting right. final moment? <laughs> and that yeah. just kind of summed up the mythology, mm-hmm. the mythology of the character. Holding the that kid was, under his arm. Yeah. That was definitely a, a money shot for me. I yep. think my money shot, I love the very, uh, not the very opening shot but of the flashbacks, but the opening shot of the 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 film where it goes into color where we pull out of the the oh, car of the the interceptors blower and that that whole we just see everything happening at that point we get we're right into the action <clears throat> so many other films try to duplicate that same kind of energy and i yeah. i love the way that it's pulled off here and the opening sequence when i was a kid we had it on videotape we'd recorded it off of tv and we'd watch the opening sequence we were always so bored and we're like come on get to the action get to the action as I'm older now, I realize that all the flashbacks and the setting up really does an expert job of of making you, like tantalizing you and making you crave the action. And when the action finally hits in that opening sequence, it's so powerful. So that's one of my money shots. My other money shot is actually of you right after you hit the guy in the head and you, uh, you pull vault out and you land on the tanker and you turn around and you just do this growl. It's just this... And then you run off. And man, Vernon, I love that that little moment. And I, I feel like so many people would have, playing that part, they would have just landed and run. But at that little sequence, 
it just blew me away. My brother and I, when we were kids, we would always kind of emulate that moment. And uh, we still do today. And, and uh, we, whenever we talk about the Road Warrior and somebody says something, we give them an, uh, in one of those kind of the, those grunts. So those are definitely my two money shots. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to fanboy here. <laughs> Hey, Robert, at least you had the right actor. <laughs> I'm sorry, was somebody saying something? <laughs> to be fair, they did both have mohawks. There you go. So. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Mm. And they were in the same movie. Okay, okay, my apologies. <laughs> All right, well, as we do here, usually, we, we have a top five. And in honor of The Road Warrior this week, we're going to do our top five post-apocalyptic films. And Vernon, I believe you got your top five uh, there, right? Yeah, I got one. Oh, Excuse boy. me, Vernon. And once again, I'm going to give you a chance uh, to to share your oral interpretation skills. Allow me to do it first, and I'll ask that you do it oh, right after. And now wipe off that frown as we present our countdown. We ain't joshing. This ain't no jive. Time to give a listen to our top That's five. That's fine. Let's not make no, Vernon no, do it. For, no, let's not make Vernon. Oh, no. I could have so much fun with this. <laughs> And now, kiddies, it's time for our top five favorites. And now, wipe off that frown as we present our countdown. We ain't joshing, and this ain't no jive. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. We're, we're using his version from now on. <laughs> that was the best version of, of your poem, Ira. Hey. What about... Yeah, you've been replaced. Okay. Vernon, I'm looking for a new co-host for this podcast. <laughs> All right. So, I don't know. Um, the perks aren't too bad. I'm, I'm so, sorry, Joanna. I'm just being... I'm just being male here. Well, let's talk about our, num- our top five post-apocalyptic films. So let's begin with number five. Who wants to go first? Anybody? Who's... who's... Uh, I'm going to fuck you up with number five. All right. Well, let's go ahead. What do you got? Number five. The Cars That Ate Paris. The Cars That Ate Paris. I've heard of this movie. I've never seen it. Tell us a little bit about it. It was um, our beloved Peter Jackson's, one of his first films in um, New Zealand. And it's just one of those wonderful off-kilter movies, apocalyptic, where they build all these cars that are just unbelievable and they kill things and people this is back from the 70s right in like 70 74 75 something like that way back when some of us were younger (laughs) all right so that's your fifth favorite post-apocalyptic film fifth favorite (laughs) post-apocalyptic all right that's definitely a mouthful ira what do you got what's your number five my number five it's a movie i've spoken about before but give me some wiggle room i'm embracing it once again and vernon you'll like this because it was filmed in your home country on the Beach. Oh, yes. On yes. the Beach with Gregory Peck, Ava yep. Gardner, Stanley Kramer, mm-hmm. the great Stanley Kramer I've never seen it. On the Beach. I know you have. You know I've seen I, everything, I, right? Well, they haven't seen this one. 1957, wow. shot in black and white. And the music, mm-hmm. Walsing Matilda, throughout yes. the entire, variations of that song throughout the entire film. It's a haunting film. It's melodramatic. I'm not sure if it still stands up today. It looks a little bit melodramatic, it, but it's as powerful yeah. as can be. And... Near the end of the film, it's got that very famous scene. Robert, I mentioned this to you once before, where they kiss uh, Gregory Peck, and the camera goes around 360 degrees, and that was the first time that they were able, because that's a hard, as you can appreciate, shot to get, and uh, a real powerful black and white film made by the great Stanley Kramer. Mm -hmm. All right. 
It was interesting. My number five is a more recent film from 2004, Dawn of the Dead, the uh, oh, remake. Yes, the and remake. The opening where the girl comes into the, the house of the uh, the family. There's like kind of a suburban family and this woman, I think she's getting out of the shower and she's attacked. No, are they? maybe she wakes up. I think she wakes up in the bed, but there's a little girl who's turned into a zombie and attacks this woman and she has to fight off this kid, the neighbor kid, and try to get out of her house. And she doesn't know what's going on. And as she's driving, just the whole world is starting to fall apart. Beautiful opening sequence. And the whole film... Uh, I feel like you know, the Trapped in the Mall, it's the, it's the remake of the the Dawn of the Dead from this 70s or 80s. And uh, they spend the whole time in the mall trying to get out from the mall. That's interesting. Good movie. Great post-apocalyptic film. And the mall being a metaphor for our society. Consumerism. Yeah, and, trying, you know, that's yeah. just where they go. They're, they're mindless and right, drones Right, with the mood to... music in the background. Sure. The Muzak in the elevator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Vernon, what's your number four? The Road. The Road. The road. Now we're going to overlap yeah. here because I love the road. Yeah, I had a the feeling. Road. <laughs> yep, that'd be my number four. What I do you like about it. it? What do you remember about it? Um, I I think mostly uh, what I liked about it was purely the um, just the desolation mm-hmm. and the isolation of um, you know we were talking about humanity and I mean to me that was one of the 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 reasons I have such strong opinions of all that I think is just in that you had the breakdown of civilization right. of of who's going to help who and why and you know if you can't add anything to what I am fuck you yeah um, and I enjoyed it I thought it was great uh, it just to me it ended badly I just I didn't enjoy how would you have liked to see the ending I get them all fucking dead <laughs> fuck around with them Jesus. Gonna let them walk off and starve to death, you miserable shit. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that the end was a little cop-out. Okay. And to me, it's always that same thing. I When I see things like that, I always think that it's day 58 and someone's gone. Oh, we've got seven pages to do. We're not going to get this finished. All right, fucking kill them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we, it's, don't, we don't have enough days to shoot yeah, the ending. It's, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, it's like... We can't finish the end, so just have them walk off into the sunset along the beach or something. You know that'll that'll be good. All right, Ira, what's your number four? My number four, The Matrix. And at first, I was thinking, wait, is that really post-apocalyptic? I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah it is, because something happened to fuck up society. Sure. Things became upside down. 1999, Keanu Reeves. Obviously, it was famous for what was called the bullet time, with the bullets in slow motion, the camera swinging around, different perspective. We that popularized that that shot. Right. But mm-hmm. I think it was a real ambitious movie, and it was like nothing I had ever seen, and it, it certainly worked. The first one, The All Matrix. Right. My number four is a movie from 2009, another zombie movie. I don't even like zombie movies that much, but I realize that I do like these two. 2009's Zombieland with Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was Bill Murray in that movie. He makes the movie in that one little scene. And and just his quip about having no regrets in life except for Garfield. I mean, there's so much great tongue-in-cheek action that's going on there. Mm -hmm. It's really clever. And I like how it breaks down the fourth wall. It's talking to us and making us part of the... The survivors of the Holocaust, and or not, but it's like a post-apocalyptic zombie, whatever you want to call that. Anyway, I uh, really like Zombie Land. That's my number four. Okay, Vernon, what's your number three? Uh, the original Mad Max, mm. mostly because it started a genre uh, which has proliferated for forty years. Yeah, 
And um, I think just from that point of view, it, it was something that was so out of the box and so new that nobody really knew how to take it. Right. And so I think from just that point of view is that it was able to start a genre which is still done today. Yeah. And um, I think it deserves credit for that, if nothing else. All right. Ira, what's your number three? My number three, I Am Legend, the one in 2007, the one the one with Will Smith, mm-hmm. Richard Math, the great Richard Matheson. Uh, and I know this movie came out early in different variations with different titles and so on. I thought it was an incredible film. I thought Will Smith was very, very good in it. It had a peculiar ending, and I did some research on this, and there was a different ending they had in mind. But I think that was a, um, a real solid film, I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. My number three is a movie from 2011 with Ewan McGregor. It's called Perfect Sense. Have you seen this movie? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's really good. He plays a chef and he uh, meets a scientist and they, the entire world starts to, they, they get this disease that starts to erase their senses. And it starts with, um, I think it starts with the sense of smell and everyone gets this disease. And then the next sense to go is their taste. And then they're hearing, and it's slowly you can start to, to see that everyone's going to start to lose all of their different senses. And they're trying to establish a relationship as society is crumbling because people, they can't figure out how to fix this disease. They don't know what's causing it. And um, it's, it's a really, really interesting film. It's a mm. great one. I like that. Yeah. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. Perfect Sense. That's hmm. a good one. What are we in? Number two. Number two. Number two. 28 Days Later. Yeah. I just... I think they are the the two of the three of them, isn't it? Uh, yeah, were just the most hysterically wonderful movies about anything, and having to deal with the apocalypse, I thought was just so good. It's only the English could do something that was just that outlandish and make it work. And um, speaking of great opening sequences, when he comes comes out and everyone's gone, uh, there's no one in London. You just see him walking around down yeah, some yeah. of the busiest places in the world, and you're going, "Oh shit!" Just just on a production level of how the hell do you film that? That's incredible. On a Sunday, yeah, when they block off all the traffic. It. Yeah, yep, it hit for two hours. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. Twenty eight days later. Okay, Ira, number Vernon? two. Yes. We're bonding now like crazy, and hopefully this will make up for my earlier faux pas of that one reference when it wasn't even you. But I want to say my second favorite was 28 Days Later as well. 2002, I always forget Danny Boyle directed Mm -hmm. that film. Yes. And it was, um, it it reinvigorated, as you know, the the zombie horror uh, movie. It was so well done. I saw it in the theater, and again, they had... In the run that I saw it in, they had the two endings. They showed us the alternate ending. There was one ending, and then it said on the screen... Or maybe this happened. That's what it said. Or maybe this happened. Dot dot dot. And they showed you the other ending that was more optimistic. That was a more optimistic ending. What a smart film that was. Twenty eight days later. That's like Clue. Yep. Didn't Clue have two yes. or three different endings yes. to it? Yes. Yeah. All right. My number two is something that you mentioned earlier. The Road. I love The Road. It was uh, just seeing, as you said, like the desolation and and trying to to deal with the the problem that never gets solved for us as the audience is what's caused all of this. And we're we're never told what that, what the cause of the whole thing is so clever. It makes you want to know so much more about that world. And I like that we don't get it. I like Mm -hmm. that. It's kind of, here's this whole world. Here's all these problems. And we're not going to answer them all for you, but we're going to want you desiring more of that. And that makes you want to go back and rewatch the film and and understand more about it. So 
I agree. The road was great. Liked it. All right. What's your number one? Oh, well, I'm just going to fuck you all up with this. My number one is Road Warrior. and not it, It's my number one as well. Everybody it's, knows it's, it's going to be my number one. It's not because this brilliant actor was in it. Um, the, <laughs> oh, Mel Gibson? Oh, he's great. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, I, I, I love him. Are you him. talking about Bruce Spence? Oh, uh. Uh, oh just so wonderful. Um, I, to me, Road Warrior, as I said before, to me, it's it's a perfect movie in its own way. Yeah. It has a beginning, a middle, and end. You know why all the characters are there. Uh, the photography's brilliant. The sound is brilliant. The editing's brilliant. The acting is wonderful, first class. And everything about that film works. You know, you can't actually look at it and go, oh, yeah, but there's, know, there's this no and, but. It, yeah. it, it, it all works. And I think for any film to be that good, made that way it has to be that and it was more in you know i mean um, road warriors um, started this whole thing mm -hmm. or mad max sorry started this whole thing and then road warrior just became the epitome of what uh, mad max could be mm. and i think that was why i would say it's definitely a post-apocalyptic movies they have tried to duplicate it so often um, often world. duplicated but never the same. Right. You know, you just can't... There's things about that movie that uh, George did that you just can't get right. Yeah. And that's why I think it's such a, a cool movie to have and just to watch. You know, I'd never watched the movie for many, many years. I'd watch bits of it. And um, to me, that movie became the greatest um, pain in my ass because it became this huge millstone that I had to carry for yeah. many years as an actor. It was always I was looked upon as, as the guy from the, the road, road warrior. Yeah. yeah, and people couldn't get past it, you know. And I, I always used to think, oh, "Fucking movie." Um, it's but kind then, of a blessing and a curse, would you say? No, just a curse. Just a curse. <laughs> um, then you just sort of grow up and and go, "Why do I hate something that meant so much to me and meant so much to so many people?" And and actually put me in a position where I am now. It's well, like Leonard Nimoy fam famously had this with his book of I Am Not Spock, and then years yeah. later he wrote his other book, I Am Spock. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all go through it where we just hate the realization of being so intertwined with that character. Uh. Um, it becomes a pain in your ass, but then, of course, you grow up past that and you go, well, if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't be here for a start. So you have to have that realization of it's just an amazing piece of cinema. Uh, cinema um, period. And period. And yeah. just accept it. I mean, it's... As you it's, were mentioning before, the, the production design, I mean, you were talking about the editing, the shots, and yeah. things like that, but the costuming, there's all Every, of these everything great about elements it was that come just, together. Yeah, it was just, just perfect. I mean, the funny thing about it is, is that um, I did an interview many years ago for a film and when I went in, the um, it was in a room like this, except there was 20 people in it, and they wanted to tell me all about the character. And I'd read the character, and I thought, mm, very much like Road Warrior, mm. which worried me because they never got it right, and I didn't really want to be associated with it. Yeah. But they sat around the table and told me that what they were looking for was the character out of Road Warrior. <laughs> and they told me exactly how my character was, and they asked me if I thought I could do it. And I thought, I'm either being put on by some <laughs> asshole I know, or seriously, these people have no fucking idea who they are. <laughs> and it was just 
ridiculous. So I said, yeah, I think I can do it. And they said, great, give it a shot. So I did it, and they all sat there, murmured together, and said, very good. That was great. That was great. Not quite the way the gentleman that did it. <laughs> and we're actually trying to find him for this role. But you Do know, you know who just, he is? <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, just trying to keep you in mind that if we don't have success, you would be our second choice. <laughs> And I thought, that's nice, I'm second choice. Um, and I'm to also yourself. the first choice, yeah, <laughs> to myself. And they said, you know, do you have a picture? And I said, sure. So I threw across a picture of Road Warrior and then walked out. <laughs> I mean, you know. I don't even know if I believe all of that story, but that's a great story. <laughs> no, actually, that's how it happened. Yeah? Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's so weird because you think that character so defined what I did for right. so long and then walk into a room full of people who have no fucking idea who you are and it's just so wonderful you think seriously well you, you gotta show up with the assless chaps and the you know the little vested uh, what you, tube top thing there is he gay? <laughs> very oh, much so I, I thought he latent, must be latent, latent, but latent. very very much so he's still in the closet yeah, with his boyfriend sh- don't tell anybody don't know when this yeah. alright Ira what's your number one? well I feel like quite the putz and this is why with Vernon here, how could I not include the road? With Robert here, how could I not include the road? You better say However, the road my warrior. argument is it's a given with you and your birthday, and with Vernon, it's so obvious I couldn't go with the obvious one. So, in spirit, yes. However, let me say my number one favorite is Waterworld. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I just wanted to fuck with everybody in the you room. You should see Vernon's I, face. I, right I was. Now. I loved your face. I loved your. Fa- I was planning that for yeah. Waterworld. The intensity. The acting. The music. The cinematography. The brilliance. The originality. I, yeah, the originality of it. Yeah, yeah. Vernon, that moment with you. I wish we could have captured your expression. Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> my number one favorite is Planet of the Apes. The original Planet of the Apes in 1968 with Charlton Heston. I always forget that Rod Serling co-wrote the screenplay. Mm. I, I always forget that. The music, incredible music by Jerry Goldsmith, which was so avant-garde at that time. Obviously, the classic ending. And I still remember seeing it in the theater with the girl I was with that time. Sure, didn't you know they were on Earth the whole time? Well, no, I didn't. The famous Statue of Liberty embedded in the sand. And I did put that down as my number one favorite post All right. movie. And my number one is a movie that features... a. A character that I really wanted to fuck. I just, you know, I saw him on the screen and I just thought, man, this guy's running around. Whoever directed this guy just totally wanted the audience to fuck him. That's what I was getting out of it. <laughs> 1982's The Road Warrior. Now, Vernon, I should tell you, I'm not allowed to use movies that uh, that we've used on the podcast before because I just keep recycling The Road Warrior over and over and over again. But I really do think what you said is true. It is, it, it truly is a perfect movie in my mind. It's got all of these pieces. So whenever we talk about top five this or top five that, Road Warrior keeps coming up because I think it's so well made in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. And um, and it fits so many different categories. So I totally agree. Yep. My favorite. I'd like to change my... Uh, <laughs> uh, I like that you're being honest, I'm, Ira. I'm, I'm sorry, Ira, but no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Vernon, no. Vernon, it's me. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only weird thing uh, is, as a child, I, Vernon, I told you this before, I don't know if you remember it. As, when I was a kid, your name is only said twice. Your character's name, Wes, mm-hmm. is only said like once or twice in the whole movie. And it's kind of muddled. And, and we watched it on this home recorded off of television version. So we didn't know your character's name. We kept calling him Featherman. That's, that's Featherman. And uh, because you know, your character had these black feathers on there. And the whole neighborhood growing up in Tennessee was always like, oh man, Featherman's so awesome. I'm going to be like Featherman on my bicycle, you know, Papa Wheelie or something. 
So there's, I think it's really interesting how this film starts to permeate the culture at large and your character and your your acting has has truly influenced so many millions of people and that's that's pretty fucking cool man like i just i, I love it i think it's really interesting yeah and if one day i believe all that shit it'll be really cool <laughs> i'll believe it today how many uh, lines of dialogue did mel have in that film uh it was more like, than me <laughs> not many more though not many not many more but than more you. than me yeah um, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. I think that's also the wonder of the movie is that you could structure a movie that didn't have a lot of dialogue right, and right. still make people believe that right. so much was going onto it because they only spoke when it was necessary, you know, and, and they they talked about what was necessary. You know, I mean, the, the scene in the in the garage with, with uh, Mel and the feral kid, you know, and he said, get out of here, kid. Yeah, yeah that's on. it. Get out of here. Yeah, and that's about it. You know, that's all you need. Let's not forget that rule of screenwriting. And then he show picks it, up don't his, say it. Yeah. Yeah. Show it, don't say he it. Picks up his bag, throws his bag, and <laughs> right. says, shoo, scat. You know, yeah. that's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah, Minimalist. because it was so perfect, just like that. Just Less sort of is more. Wow, you are a son of a bitch. <laughs> but that was the whole. You understood, and I think today what we tend to do with movies a lot is that we overwrite them. Because we, we tend to treat the audience like they're idiots. It's they're really, really not going to get it, so let's tell them. It's interesting that you just brought that up, because I just realized what, what you're saying. The comparison of characters, where your character at the beginning of the movie was originally supposed to save the child, and Max's character dismisses the child, and it's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. I know, there's a lot of... You're the good guy in the movie. <laughs> well, you know, I was always taught when I when I was first doing this, when I finally decided that I was going to have to accept the fact that I was going to be an actor, was um, the one thing that I was always told is that there's no such thing as a villain. Yeah. That the villain always perceives himself as the hero right. trying to do what he feels he should do and he feels the hero is the villain. Right. And then the villain, the hero's the exact opposite. So the minute you start to think you're the villain, you have a crappy movie. And that's one of the beats that we really loved about the latest Spider-Man movie, right. where the villain played by Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton, we understood him, his motivation, we understood why he was doing, and we actually had some sympathy. Have you seen yeah. the latest Spider-Man movie? He, he Not did. yet. Yeah. Watch yeah. Michael Keaton, because he, he, you understand his motivation. He's, you know, He's I, incredible. My my wife actually upset Michael Keaton. She upset him. Yeah, she has a thing for older actors, you know, like in roles. She likes all the older ones, and it was funny. We were at, coming home from dinner or something, and there was one of those outdoor. She's going to kill me for this, by the way. Uh, one of those outdoor um, book, so you know, magazine. Okay. Places. Stands. Uh, like yeah, a magazine stands. It was sort of um, like. 11 o'clock at night and she was wondering she says oh I'll see if they got a new uh, magazine for horse magazine I said okay so I'm standing there and kneeling down in front of her was Michael Keaton and um, Grace had a fascination with uh, what's his name that just died who played the original Batman on television Adam uh, West Adam West so and I sort of leaned over to Grace and said quietly but Michael heard me I said sweetheart you're leaning over Batman and as I said that, Michael Keaton sort of went, oh, and he started to stand up. And she actually, she says she didn't do it, but she did it subconsciously because he was coming up in front of her. She actually pushed him down and went, where? Where's... Uh... 
<laughs> Where is he? That's very, very funny. And I went, I think we should go. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've just pissed off Michael Keaton. Let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah. it was just this thing that she, you know, I did, an, I did a convention and they had the original Green Hornet there. And she spent three days sitting with him. Like, hello? What am I? We, we are still here? married, right? <laughs> I'm not sure most of the time. Well, Vernon, uh, uh, any scoops? Some quick scoops? Oh, so some we, quick we should explain this to come. Vernon. We have our top five, like we just finished. Yes. And sometimes we squeeze in an extra one or two films that weren't in our top five we briefly like to acknowledge. I have two. Let's I, hear them. I, I do have to admit, you're, you're both going to throw things at me. I kind of like The Postman. The Kevin, <laughs> the Kevin Costner. I just got a, a yeah. little birthday horn thrown at me by Vernon. The Postman from 1997, uh, and also Delicatessen from 1991. That's a really good yeah, film. That one I'll give you. Yeah, and uh, and also uh, Legette, the film that Twelve Monkeys was based on, the short um, film. So n- not only does he come up with dipshit films, but he can't count. <laughs> I've got two that I'd like to well, bring. I up. Forgot. Vernon, I'm really glad you're here. I like you. I love it that you're nailing him on his inconsistency and his bullshit. I love it. I was going to do two, and then I realized I'm yeah, going to do Postman yeah. after all. Yeah. All right, what do you got, Ira? All right, let me just briefly mention um, the original, the Terminator, even though the bulk of it obviously didn't take place in that post-apocalyptic, but but we still it still wrestled with that issue. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that I, to you. I, I, I'm giving that a gray area, too. Are either of you gentlemen familiar with A Boy and His Dog? Yes. yes. You know, I saw that at the theater when it first came out, of course, with Don John. Harlan Ellison. I always forget that Harlan Ellison wrote that. And um, what a... What a... What a... Weird film. What, <laughs> Know what to say about it, but it resonated with me. And the fact that I was thinking about it the other night yeah. says something about it. Yeah, you saw it, Vernon. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, know. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, I mean, I didn't put it's it on top good, of my no, list. No, it's I got just good wanted, moments. I just in wanted it. to acknowledge it somehow. But you know, yeah, that and Waterworld. Okay. <laughs> good. And also Wally. I thought about Wally. Wally is just interesting wonderful. Producer Joey's sitting here going, Wally, Wally, because I think she wants to get some Wally love. Wally is just, I love yeah. Wally. It really yeah. is good. Um, I would probably have to say, not that it's on my list because I wouldn't put it, is Book of Eli. Book of Eli, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I, I just, it was a, a, a Road Warrior ripoff. Yeah. Um, and they didn't do it successfully, which is why I I would not put it on my list because it did have it did, some. It had some cool genuinely it, right? good moments to it. Yeah. And the other one was uh, a film that you may or may not have seen called Refuge. I don't think I've seen it, but I know what you're talking about. I know the, of the film. It's good it's, or no? It's very good, actually. It's 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 more about what we were discussing with the breakdown of society and okay. how people I'll check, check that out. get together to try and rebuild what they are and to survive refuge uh yep refuge so um they would get um a good mention and then i could start listing some of my 250 movies that i think are really (laughs) worthwhile putting on that list Um, the one that's just coming in well i'll cut you off before you start uh ruining your own career We'll right. include him next week in uh, Dead Corner. Yeah, in Dead Corner. Death his of a career, career being dead. Yeah. Death right of here a on career. our podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I, I actually looked at this and I thought, there's two ways this is going to go. I'm going to go on this and people are going to go, seriously, you went on that? <laughs> the other way is, we were going to hire you. However, we heard the podcast. Oh, jeez. 
<laughs> Either way, it's not good. That's yeah, all it's I know. a lose lose situation. There's this 12 year old kid that we met at the <laughs> coffee shop that we thought, that's oh, I could let him do it. Well, Vernon, this has been just a little slice Sweet. of heaven. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, uh, and talking to film with us and, and sharing your story. Really appreciate it, man. And uh, so we want to do a few things to kind of wrap up the show. Ira and I have our own uh, film that we're releasing next month on September 28th, and that's called 30 Love. If uh, anyone listening wants to find out more about that film, we're going to have a red carpet premiere at the Vista Theater on September 28th. You can still purchase tickets to that through the Indiegogo funding page crowdfunding page and we'll play in los angeles for an extent a week after that right that's right. at the los feliz three you can find out all that information at 30lovefilm.com uh or if you want to shoot us a message if you like our top fives if you have your own top five and feel like they're we're forgetting some of the films you like you can shoot us an email to robert at moneyshotpodcast.net or and or ira at moneyshotpodcast.net or you can shoot us an, a message over at twitter which is at moneyshotpod instagram at moneyshotpodcast there's a bunch of ways to get in touch with us. We're all over the place, aren't we? Robert? We are. We really are. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, just yeah. on our email, we're on our website. We're all over the place. Yeah, uh, and there, yeah. there's plenty of places to find us, and uh, and you can reach us to, uh, to us a bunch of different ways. Is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, the the photos are on the back of most toilet doors, um, <laughs> so they're not really that hard to find. And the other thing I'd like to say is, fuck your movie. You didn't put me in it. <laughs> well, there's still time. I can yeah, probably edit time. something together. <laughs> yeah. We still have four weeks. Let's edit it. I didn't think I could get you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you drag my ass in here and rev me up for this time. And then you say, we've got a movie coming out. You're not in it. But we would love everybody else. Nobody come. <laughs> Send them notes saying, you didn't put him in a Jew shit. And then what I would do, I'd have you all stand out the front with big placards saying, no Vernon, no movie. We could, we could bring a new revolution. No, I'm kidding. Anybody does that, I'll kick their ass. Uh, well, Vernon, oh, Vernon, anything else that you want to plug? Any way that people get a hold of you just through your website or anything like that? Uh, yeah, you can get me on Facebook, um, Twitter, all that shit. My name generally gets you everything. Well, not everything, but um, <laughs> although after I was told to blow into this this morning on this ah, podcast. Wrap I'm, your, round, I'm quite, your lips around this. I'm, I'm quite sure that it gets you anything. Um, no, just uh, come on my webpage, come on, um, whatever, and just say hi. Uh, if I don't answer you back at the same day, it's it means generally you suck. because... That's why he's not answering you back. Yeah, no, it means that I'm just an arrogant son of a bitch <laughs> and I got more things to do that are more important. Um, but no, um, I've got a couple of films coming out. Death House, which is a big um, uh, movie coming out in November, I believe. Uh, the Lighthouse Keeper. The Lighthouse it's, Keeper? It's called The Lighthouse Keeper. Yeah, it's on Netflix and all over the place. And then one that came out a little while ago uh, called The Horde. The Hood? The Horde. The Horde. The Horde. Cool. Well, we'll check that out as well. That's The Horde, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it. This has been great. What a great episode. Yay. Vernon, thanks I, so I much. I still can't stop thinking about that play you were in. Of yeah, course sure. you can. <laughs> yeah. You just want to see him jerk off. All right, I'm going to wrap this thing up. So until next time, keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. So I guess we're going to start soon. I can't be straight. I mean, <laughs>